So we are in a, a series on the Holy Spirit titled Catch the Wind, and we, we have selected this title and this image for a reason. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit blows like the wind wherever He wants. And as Pastor James uh, taught us last week, the, the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we're dealing with a, a person who has a will and is on the move. And God wants to move us. And so that's the, the sailboat uh, image. Uh, but we need to set our sails. We need to order our lives in such a way that God does move us. Um, we, we have a role to play. We have uh, influence on whether or not uh, we want to have all that God has for us. And so we need to keep in step with the Spirit, as the Bible says. We need to, to catch the wind. So last week, uh, Pastor James did a great job reminding us of the basics of the Trinity and uh, who the Holy Spirit is. I want to give you another way to think about this. Um, so this is a way to think about the, the different roles of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Uh, this is helpful for me as I... Uh, sometimes it, it helps my prayer life, but the Father purposes. So it is God the Father is the one with the plan. Uh, he's the one who, who came up, I guess, with the idea of uh, rescuing us by sending His Son to die and rise from the dead. So the Father purposes our salvation. The Son accomplishes it. It's Jesus who came and lived that righteous life and and then hung upon the cross, and then burst forth from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, the Bible says that, that the Son became obedient to the Father to the point of death. So he went all the way, and he, he did exactly what the Father uh, wanted. The Father purposes, the Son accomplishes, and then the Holy Spirit applies. So, so Jesus has accomplished... Uh, a great salvation for us, and then, and then he sent his Holy Spirit who then applies that great salvation to each of us. Uh, there's a sense in which uh, the Holy Spirit helps us unpack all that God has for us, all that Jesus has accomplished for us. And so as, as we will be seeing through, throughout this series is we'll be looking at how the Holy Spirit uh, applies the great salvation in our lives, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our sal salvation experience. And, and we're going to see uh, that it's quite extensive and quite significant. So, this series is intended to increase our understanding of the Holy Spirit, to uh, raise our appreciation for His work in our lives, and hopefully stimulate an appetite for the Spirit of God to, uh, to be working in us and through us. So that we, we decide, I want to live a Spirit-filled life. I want to live a life that is truly directed by the Spirit of God. I want my sails all the way up, tacking uh, in the right direction so that, so that the Spirit of God is truly uh, moving me in life. Well, today we are going to be talking about that moment in history, which is a watershed moment in uh, redemptive history, 
when Jesus Christ poured out the Spirit on his followers. Uh, so this happened on the day of Pentecost at a moment in time. There was pre-Pentecost experience of God, and then there's post-Pentecost experience of God. And we live in what is called the age of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God has been poured out on the people of God. And, and it's an, frankly, we're living in the best times yet in spiritual history. Not the best that will ever be, because we are saying, come Lord Jesus, we look forward to that day, uh, the consummation of history, and uh, when the kingdom of God is, is fully realized. But it's the best that, that humanity has ever had, and we need to be appreciative of it. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1. So the story of Pentecost is recorded in the first two chapters of Acts. I'll also have it here on the screen. We read Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is, uh, Acts is written by Luke, the same author uh, who penned the Gospel of Luke. And he sort of, he has a big story to tell and he breaks it in two. The Gospel of Luke, he says... In the first book of Theophilus, Theophilus is a Roman official, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, that's in the gospel, until the day when he was taken up. I love the word began. Why doesn't he say, say you know, in the gospel of Luke, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught, Right? But he says, began to do and teach because the story's not over. Jesus is not done doing and teaching. Uh, he, is, he continues on through the Holy Spirit. So in the first book, it was until the day when Jesus was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his, after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait. Now, Jesus had given his uh, disciples the Great Commission. Go into all the world and uh, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's told them, I've got this mission for you, a worldwide mission of evangelism. Go. But then he says, but wait, right? Don't go yet. You wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus knows if they go out in their own power, they go out in their own strength, they're going to fail, they don't have what it takes to win the world to Christ on their own. But when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, then they will have success. And so there's a sense in which I, I hear Jesus say, don't even bother setting out on that great mission until you have power from on high, the Holy Spirit, until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so now we skip over to chapter 2, um, the rest of chapter 1 it, records the ascension of, of Christ into heaven and the fact that Matthias is chosen to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. Then we come to chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday 
that took place 50 days after uh, the Passover. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, uh, the 12 apostles and others. Uh, Chapter 1 has said there were about 120 persons in all, uh, men, women, I don't know if the kids are included. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. You ever been in a a windstorm? Think about how that that sound of wind just mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So not sure exactly what that looked like. All of the little coloring books I've seen make it look like a little flame of fire, so maybe that's right. But it was a visible symbol that the Holy Spirit was being poured out on her and on him. And actually, every single person in the house had one of these flames of fire over his or her head. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was falling upon not some of them, all of them without exception. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So chapter 1 talks about you're going to be baptized. Now here it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they have a a, a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit um, filling them and they're speaking in tongues uh, which is a you know, an audible uh, demonstration. The whole point is the Holy Spirit has come on all of his people. And this is a new thing that has never happened before. Back in 11, uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses uh, imagines, he, he longs for the day when the Holy Spirit would be on all the people of God. And he said, oh, Oh, that the the Spirit of God would fall on all of his people. Moses was, uh, had the Holy Spirit working uh, in his life. He was was a prophet and a leader of the people of God, and he knew the difference that having the Holy Spirit on him made in his own spiritual life. And so he's thinking, imagine, imagine if the Spirit of God rested on all the people of God. What a difference that would make in us as a community. Right? And, and so, well, guess what? <laughs> this, is, this is the day that that happens, that that comes to pass. And it's a total game changer in salvation history. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So, this heavenly sound, uh, like a mighty rushing wind, is not just heard by the 120. It's apparently so loud that the people in the street are like, what is going on in there, right? And a crowd begins to gather. A multitude gathers. They're curious. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished. So bewildered, amazed, astonished, are not All these who are speaking at Galileans, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What, what is going on? How can this be? Aren't these guys all Galileans? How in the world are Galileans know all these different languages? This doesn't even make sense. We're all hearing uh, them speak in our native languages. This should be impossible. What's going on here? Uh, by the way, um, tongues at Pentecost is not mysterious. It's very clear that tongues on Pentecost was the Holy Spirit-given ability to proclaim the mighty works of God in another human language. There's no angelic language being spoken here. It's just as if the Holy Spirit were to let me proclaim his mighty works in Parthian or, you know, or uh, Tagalog or something. I, languages I don't know. By the way, uh, when Sabrina and I were in India, we heard uh, a testimony. I just lay this out to you because I found it interesting. This um, American man, he was of Indian descent, but he had never lived in India, didn't speak Indian. Um, and he said that he had gone over to India multiple times to preach the gospel. And one time he's preaching the gospel in English, as he always did, and he noticed that his interpreter had stopped preaching. And he, so he said, hey, or interpreting. He said, why have you stopped interpreting? And the guy said, because you're speaking the language. And he said, from that moment on, I have been able to speak, uh, pr to preach in the, in the native language. Well, that, what was, that's what was happening here. Fascinating. Now, by the way, I love, what is it that the Holy Spirit is uh, giving words to say? Because it's as the Holy Spirit was giving utterance. So the Holy Spirit's giving, you know, this person words to speak, and then this person words to speak. It says, they're they are speaking the mighty works of God. What does the Holy Spirit want to talk about? How awesome God is, and what he's done for us. Right? It's not, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, let me tell you how you can win in the stock market. Let me tell you how you can have the healthiest body. Or you can win friends and influence people. When the Holy Spirit gives, uh, gives words to, to speak, it's to proclaim the mighty works of God. Which, of course, crescendo in the, in, in the sending of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection the you know salvation from uh, sin. I love that because one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to lift up Jesus, is to testify to Christ and to the glories of the gospel. Well, verse twelve, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" They, they recognize these Jews recognize God is up to something. And this is a sign of something, and they're wondering, what, what, is this, what is this signaling? And then we read verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Tragic. There are always, always people who refuse to acknowledge uh, the works of God and will always 
give it some skeptical other interpretation, even in the face of clear evidence. And here they are as well. They're filled with new wine. Ah, these guys are just drunk. Which, of course, isn't a, isn't a reasonable explanation for their ability to speak in other languages. Drunkenness doesn't do that. But it was their emotional way of disregarding the significance of what is happening. And we all have a choice to make. Are, are we going to be flippant with the gospel, with the things of God, and dismiss them and not, not have to deal with them seriously? Or, or will we uh, ask, as we should, what does this mean? Verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So he kind of commands the audience. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's too early for us all to be drinking. That's not the explanation. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Peter said, look, what you, what you are witnessing is the fulfillment of prophecy. God said that this day was coming. He foretold it through his prophets, multiple prophets, in fact, not just Joel, but he quotes Joel. Hundreds of years earlier, God, through the prophet Joel, foretold this great day. It's happening right now in front of your very eyes. Translation, you're privileged. We are privileged to be uh, witnessing this. Verse 17, he's now quoting from Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Joel was not himself living in the last days. He was looking down the, the corridor of history to a coming day in which God would do some new and mighty act, and it was to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And, and everybody, you know, young and old, men and women, no matter your economic status, slave and free, if you are part of the people of God you're going to have the Spirit of God. And, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And, and the people of God, Moses longed for it, the prophets, and the people of God had been waiting for hundreds of years for that glorious day to come, and here it has arrived on Pentecost. Now, did you know that you and I live in the last days, according to the Bible? Pentecost inaugurated the last days. And why is it the last days? Because nothing else is going to happen between now and the consummation of the ages, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the next thing to happen. Jesus will return. He could return today. He could return today, which means let's not wait to tell our friends and families the good news of the gospel, and let's make sure that let's not wait to ourselves respond to the gospel. Today is the day of decision, right? Well, Peter goes on to preach a sermon in, in which he says, uh, 
what you see here, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the, peop, the, the follower of Jesus Christ is proof positive that Jesus was who he said he was, that he is the Messiah. And in fact, he, he is risen from the dead. We all saw it. He's now ascended to the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And you all killed the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So he, he draws a big bullseye and paints it on the back of, in particular, the Jewish leaders, but all of the Jewish people, by implication. You've killed the Son of God! And, and I, as I pointed out on Easter, you know, 40 days earlier, 50 days earlier, uh, Peter was a scaredy cat hiding Denying Jesus because he was afraid of, of getting caught up in the anti-Jesus, you know, backlash. And now here he is just 50 days later, and he's willing to go publicly proclaim the Jewish leadership killed the, 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 the Messiah. And so he's gone from kind of scaredy cat to bold lion. And why? Well, be, the, only, the, the only logical explanation is because he saw Jesus alive from the dead, and now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's been given the the courage and the power and the words of the Holy Spirit. Well, um, in verse, I'm not going to go through the, I'm not going to go through the sermon, although it's awesome. I just want to point out verse 33, where Peter says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Um, the Holy Spirit, one way to think about the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's the spoils of war that Jesus um, divides amongst his people. See, Jesus, when he, when he returned to heaven, he returned as the conquering hero, right? He'd conquered sin and death. He'd been fully obedient to the Father, He's victorious. He returns to heaven as the, as the victor. And the Father gives him the Holy Spirit as a reward. And the Holy Spirit is then distributed, given to his people. Which is why we say that, that the Holy Spirit actually is from the Father, through the Son, to the people of God. And so, the Holy Spirit, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the follower of Jesus Christ is evidence that Jesus Christ is, is who he said he is and is the victor. And the Jewish people, may I suggest that, that well, 3,000 came to Christ that day. So, so um, many, many Jews, thousands of Jews, recognized that. And they were compelled. They saw evidence of the Holy Spirit on the, on the follower of Jesus, and they concluded Jesus must, in fact, be the Messiah. Otherwise, how can these people... Otherwise, why would these people be filled with God's Spirit? And, and it, it was evidence to them. So, he concludes his sermon in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Holy Spirit, on us is evidence of, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've killed, we've killed the Messiah. Is there any way out? How can, how can we get, make this right? And Peter said to them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Do you get the Holy Spirit by um, progressing in your sanctification or in your personal moral reform and at some point you attain such a, a place of spiritual maturity that it can be said you're filled with the Spirit? Do you get the Holy Spirit by, um, by embarking on some prayer, diligent prayer and searching and you ask for spiritual men and women to lay their hands on you and pray for you and, and then you gain the Holy Spirit as sort of a second blessing in the Christian life? That's not what the Bible says. What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, be baptized is, is sort of, in, in the New Testament, seems to be synonymous for put your faith in Jesus. But the, the, the New Testament doesn't know of unbaptized Christians. If you Put your faith in Jesus Christ, you go get baptized. In fact, you're going to see here that 3,000 people received his word and were baptized that very day. So if you are a Christian, make sure you get baptized because it's the clear uh, expectation and command uh, of Scripture. But, but the point I want you to hear is if you are a Christian, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are full of the Holy Spirit. Another way to talk, we talk about this is you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Which means uh, you have full access to the life of God. The Spirit of the living God dwells within you. You have full access to the life of God. You don't, you're not, uh, nobody else has an advantage over you. Even if they want to tell you, I'm, I'm a, you know, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm a super Christian. And until you get that, I had that told. Uh, I, w I love the Lord. I was about 19 years old. And these, these people were you know, trying to, um, they were trying to convince me to get, that I needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And finally I said, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, how can I be a Christian? And they had the audacity to say, you ought to consider that. And I said, there's no possible way. You're wrong. You're wrong. I know Jesus and his spirit lives within me. Now, I need to surrender my life to him more and more and more, right? I want to be more controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to actually, that's what we're talking about next week uh, is, you know, the, the, the fill being you're in the spirit, but then how do you walk by the spirit and have his life at, uh, fully at work in you? But okay, I think I just got off a little bit there. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Not just far off distance, but far off in time. He's talking about you and me. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Boy, that could be said of us today, couldn't it? This is a crooked generation we live in. Save yourself from this crooked generation. How? By repenting of your sins and being baptized in the name of Jesus. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a revival, people. I don't know if, I doubt there have been 3,000 people saved through my entire 20-plus year ministry. (laughs) They had it happen in one day. Why? Because the Spirit of God was empowering their words and empowering their ministry. There was no possible way that Peter and these uh, apostles would have had that kind of an impact, that kind of a reception, if it weren't the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of men and women as Peter preached the gospel. And by the way, I, when you pick up the phone and you're talking to your friend and you're giving them spiritual counsel, if it's just you, it won't do anything. But if the Holy Spirit is, is working through you, it will have great effect. Uh, if you're leading a Bible study or you're trying to share the gospel with your neighbor or you're up front preaching, I can, I can prepare and, and, and uh, deliver a good, a good talk, but if the Holy Spirit isn't empowering the words, there's no true spiritual fruit. And so, as Christians, we need to be asking. That's one of the things we can be doing is saying, Spirit of God, would you please empower my ministry, empower my counsel, empower my uh, evangelism. Please be um, producing real results through, through our ministry. Do not, I think here's, uh, Pastor James and I were wrestling through what's the practical application of today's message. Here's one of the practical applications. Don't settle for a mediocre Christian life when you've got the Holy Spirit inside you. So, the Spirit of the living God dwells within you. He's with you 24-7 and has all of God's resources available to you as, as greatly as were available to any other Christian throughout history. Same spirit lives within you that brought Jesus Christ from the dead. So we can have a victorious Christian life, a, a deep walk with the Lord. We can be used powerfully by God. We, our lives can be dramatically changed into the likeness of Christ. We can overcome sin. The, the, the power of God, the life of God is available to us by His Spirit. But we have, we, we, we have to, I don't want to say tap into that, we have to raise our sails to catch the wind. We have to keep in step with the Spirit. We have to submit. We have to uh, not quench the Spirit, not, uh, not uh, sear the conscience. There are lots of ways the Bible talks about this. So, but let's not settle for a mediocre spiritual life. When we have the Spirit of God uh, within us, who wants to move powerfully in our lives and make uh, real changes, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about um, how He does that uh, during this series. In fact, here's a quick preview of some of the topics that we're gonna hit during this series. Here are seven things that the Holy Spirit uh, does in the life of a Christian. Number one, the Holy Spirit mediates God's presence. Why is it that we feel a personal relationship 
with God the Father, God the Son, uh, why do I feel like he knows me and I know him and that I have a personal relationship? It's because the Holy Spirit is mediating the presence of God. He makes me, he, the Spirit cries out inside us, Abba, Father, right? I'm your child. Uh, number two, imparts life. Actually takes us from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, regenerates us, and then produces spiritual life within us. Uh, number three, reveals truth. Helps us know what is right and wrong. Helps make the word of God understandable to us. Brings it to mind as we go through the day. How is it that the word of God just keeps coming to mind in situation after situation? Am I brilliant? No, it's the Holy Spirit taking his word and applying it to my life. And that'll be the case for you as you study the scriptures and are responsive. Fosters holiness. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the living God does not, is not content leaving us where we are. It's constantly provoking us, right? Convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment and, and is just pick, picks us up and dusts us off when we fall down and says, come on. Supplies power. We need power to say no to temptation. We need power to uh, wrestle against the, uh, the forces of evil in this world. Number six, gifts, gifts us for ministry. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus at, uh, uh, on his, when he was baptized by John, Jesus came down as a dove, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for his ministry. And that same Spirit empowers us for ministry. In fact, he gifts every Christian specifically for ministry. And then finally, he affects unity. Takes Jews and Gentiles, peoples of all different cultures, and uh, binds our hearts together as brothers and sisters for all time. So the Holy Spirit is, uh, applies, the, applies the great work uh, of salvation to, to us, uh, and we, uh, He helps us unpack it throughout our lifetime. And the more that we understand and appreciate, uh, the more we're going to want Him working in our lives. All right, let's bow our... Why don't you just close your eyes, bow your heads... As the band comes up, just pray along in your hearts with me. Father, we thank you so much that you cared enough about us, that you purposed to save us, uh, that you were willing to even send your only son. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. And yes, you, you are the victor. You've been crowned, and you deserve the spoils. Spirit of the living God, thank you so much for indwelling us and working within us and helping us live the Christian life, opening our eyes to uh, the goodness of God, the reality of God's love for us. Uh, Lord, we want to walk by the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We want the fruit of the Spirit the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control to abound in our lives. And that happens as we surrender more and more control to you, as we raise the sails and keep and, and, and catch the wind, your movement in our life. So would you use this sermon series to really um, increase our understanding, uh, our appreciation, and our appetite for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.